Hello, ACAC family, friends, and guests. This weekend, we're continuing our study of the Bible's opening book, the book of Genesis. Because if you understand the foundational truths embedded in Genesis, you'll be positioned to understand all the rest of Scripture. And if you understand Scripture, you'll be able to navigate your way through this world. Something that the stories of Scripture affirm frequently. And something you'll want to keep in mind during this pandemic is the fact that God's goodness often shows up in unlikely places. Pastor Allen reminded us of that last weekend when he reminded us that God's goodness showed up during one of the darkest hours in human history. A time when corrupted human society had passed the point of spiritual recovery precisely because they didn't feel the need of spiritual recovery. And as is often the case, when God's goodness showed up, it arrived quietly, without great fanfare. It showed up in a simple statement. It showed up in one single word inside that statement. The word that makes all spiritual recovery possible. I'm speaking about the word grace. Chapter 6 tells us, quote, But Noah found grace, or favor, in the eyes of the Lord, end quote. That was the very first biblical reference to the word and the attribute of God that would many years later take center stage in the message of the gospel. A word that would inspire countless sermons and teachings and songs. A word that would be familiar to every follower of Jesus. But as I've often noted, for a host of reasons, familiarity doesn't always translate into understanding. For a host of reasons, familiarity often becomes the greatest barrier to full understanding. And I'd like to suggest there's ample evidence that that's exactly what's happened with the word grace. There's ample evidence that it's frequently been misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misrepresented. Because where God's grace is concerned, we tend to hear what we want to hear rather than what God is actually saying. God says grace, and we hear a happy ending, the end of heartache, and the beginning of joy. God says grace, and we hear a soft landing after a rough journey and smooth sailing ahead. God says grace, and we hear the end of confusion and questions and the beginning of clarity. That's why whenever we sing of grace, we say, I once was blind, but now I see. But Noah learned God's grace doesn't always translate into a soft landing. It often translates into a hard 
journey. Rather than birthing immediate insight and relief, God's grace may birth immediate questions and challenges. Living inside of God's grace may suggest we change our lyrics from, I once was blind, but now I see, to now I see where I'm still blind. So today, as we consider Noah's experience as recorded in Genesis 7, I'm going to be open with you. I hope to change the way you think about grace. Frankly, I hope to disillusion you about grace. Because to be disillusioned is to be set free from an illusion. And whenever we hold on to illusions about grace, we put ourselves in difficult and dangerous situations. We set ourselves up for unnecessary doubts, unnecessary disappointments, unnecessary detours, and the accusations of Satan. So today, I hope to help you discern what Noah discovered. Namely, grace isn't always soft. It has a hard side to it. Now to launch us into our study, I want to read Genesis 7, the opening verse, And then the 16th verse. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household. For you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him. And the Lord closed it behind him. My title today would make a great title for a country western song. My title today is The Hard Side of Grace. Before we embark on our journey through the Word, please join your hearts with mine in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, to fulfill the task you've given me, as always, I will need fresh equipping from your Holy Spirit. As always, for us to understand your word and to apply your word, we will need fresh equipping from your Holy Spirit. So, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us today. Open our understanding. Give us ears to hear and hearts to believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we listen for God's voice today, may the Lord be with you. I want to begin today with a Bible quiz. Now, for those of you watching as families, I hope your children don't embarrass you. (laughs) But I want to warn you, it is a distinct possibility. Our quiz consists of three questions, each more difficult than the preceding one. Here's the first question. What was the name of the man who lived longer than anyone in human history? And that's right. The answer is Methuselah. Here's question number two. How long did Methuselah live? Correct. 969 years. 
Now here's the harder question. Question number three. Why did Methuselah live that long? Why not an even 900 years? Why not a nice even 1,000 years? Why 969 years? Did Hallmark only make numbered cards up to 969? Did God lose sight of Methuselah and forget it was time to take him home? Why 969 years? Well, the Bible answers that question, but it answers it indirectly. Let me explain. Methuselah meant when this one dies, it shall come. When this one dies, it shall come. We now know the it that God was referring to, the great flood, because it occurred immediately after Methuselah's death. In light of that fact, the answer to the question, why did Methuselah live 969 years, is clear, although at first hearing, it sounds rather odd. Methuselah's unrivaled longevity was an expression of God's unrivaled grace. It symbolized the fact that God wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't in a rush to send judgment. And that contrary to the accusations often leveled against God by unbelievers, the great flood wasn't a cruel, knee-jerk reaction by a God with severe anger issues. Just the opposite. Methuselah's longevity indicated God is incredibly patient, but his love won't permit the cancer of sin to go unchecked. Eventually, because of his love, he'll take action. Now, seen in that light, I'd like to suggest The great flood was an act or an expression of God's grace. I know that sounds rather preposterous, but Scripture clearly indicates that grace is God's comprehensive A to Z response to humanity's greatest problems. As such, it does more than address symptoms. It attacks causes. God's grace not only births forgiveness when we repent of our sin, it attacks the sin that makes repentance necessary. That's why Scripture says we are saved, past tense, but it also says we are being saved, continuous present tense. God's grace attacks our sin, much like a surgeon attacks a malignant growth. God doesn't merely dispense a lifetime supply of ibuprofen to deal with symptoms. God wants to perform surgery. And that's why I say grace has a hard side. It attacks the sin 
that hinders God's favor wherever that sin is found, including in the hearts of God's people. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, Pastor Rock, why do you associate grace, God's undeserved favor, with attacking sin? Aren't God's attacks against sin better described as an expression of his holiness or an expression of his judgment? Fair question. And to that question, I would answer, while God's surgical strikes against sin do indeed express his holiness and his judgment, they also express his grace. And I answer that way for a couple of reasons. First, God doesn't lay aside one of his attributes to express another. Everything God does involves all of his attributes. That's why you never have to reconcile God's grace with God's judgment or God's love with God's holiness because you don't have to reconcile friends. When God judges, he doesn't set aside his love. His judgment expresses his love. When God forgives, he doesn't set aside his holiness. His forgiveness expresses his holiness. And his surgical strikes against sin express his grace. Because the greatest undeserved favor God could bestow upon any one of us is to attack the sin that threatens to destroy us. God is love, and a loving God wouldn't stand idly by while sin destroys us. The truth is, grace that doesn't attack sin is a disgrace. It's apathy masquerading as grace, or worse, betrayal masquerading as grace. And apathy and betrayal don't do us any favors. Now, seeing as how grace requires a hard edge, it stands to reason that grace isn't always synonymous with comfort. Perhaps you've seen the acrostic definition of grace that uses the letters G-R-A-C-E to say it is God's riches at Christ's expense. But God's riches are never fully experienced until our substitutes for God's riches have been identified and then subsequently abandoned. And the process of identifying and abandoning abandoning our substitutes for God's riches is difficult, hard. Because over time, our substitutes for God's riches become the spiritual version of a security blanket. Parting with them initially feels like a loss, and it involves a struggle. Now with that, let's look at what Noah learned about the hard side of grace. And we'll begin with this. Grace can be hard because the same grace that makes us a friend of God 
also makes us an enemy of the world. Genesis doesn't share all the ugly details of what Noah experienced. It doesn't give us detailed looks into the mockery, the scorn, the false accusations, the character assassination, and the rejection that Noah experienced. Genesis doesn't describe the ugly memes they posted about him on social media platforms. But given the circumstances, what he experienced must have felt unbearable. It was the hard side of grace. Second, grace can be hard because grace often requires that we do hard things. And Noah faced a whole host of hard things. In addition to enduring the mockery and scorn, he had to build a massive ark while still conducting his family business and supporting his family. He had to grapple with unrelenting, unanswered questions. And you should know from this pandemic, unanswered questions take a heavy toll upon our psyche, upon our emotions, upon our mental health. He had to grapple with questions like these. How will I get every type of bird and land animal on board this vessel? What will this flood look like? Remember, there had never been a flood. Noah had no point of reference. He couldn't Google flood. Questions like, will we be able to handle what we're about to witness? Will our food supplies hold out and be sufficient? How will we prevent others from attempting to board the vessel? And are we even capable of doing that? And the question What will it be like to be the only people who survive? Those are heavy questions. In addition, Noah had to spend an entire year on that boat. Now, you talk about quarantine? Quarantine? (laughs) For one year. He and his family had absolutely nowhere to go. They couldn't go to the park. They couldn't go to a restaurant. They couldn't visit grandma's house. Nowhere to go. And talk about suffocating sameness. Same daily tasks. Same small group of family, same annoying family habits, magnified a thousandfold under stress. No cell phones and nobody to call. No text messages, no Zoom meetings, no internet, no television, and worse, no new word from God. One full 
year of deafening silence and no change in scenery. Now, as hard as those things prove to be, I suspect one thing proved even harder. Closing the door of the ark, knowing what was coming. That's why I've always appreciated the brief notation in the text that says, God closed the door behind him. It reminds us that there are some aspects of grace that are so hard, God handles them on our behalf. You'll learn of them when you get to the other side, and he reveals them to you. Another reason grace can be hard is because, strange as it may sound, grace inevitably intensifies our struggle to believe we've actually received it. Now, let me unpack that. Grace, as you know, opens the door to a more acute awareness of and sensitivity to sin. And the more we're acutely aware of sin and sensitive to sin, the more we are aware of and sensitive to our own sin. And the more we're aware of our own sin, the more we're tempted to wonder, am I truly moving in God's grace? Have I truly been saved? Have I truly experienced the new birth? You see, Satan not only seeks to take advantage of your defeats, Satan always seeks to take advantage of your victories and your success. A fourth reason that Noah's experience demonstrates how hard grace can be is the fact that Noah found grace, not an ark. Now think about it. The God who called the heavens and the earth into being by his word could have easily saved Noah a whole lot of time, whole lot of effort, whole lot of stress, by simply supplying an ark, assembled and ready for occupancy. But that's not what God did. Instead, the grace Noah found came in the form of a plan, a blueprint. And it would take a long time and a lot of effort to translate that plan into a reality. Now today, in similar fashion, the grace that God shows us isn't instant maturity, total instantaneous deliverance from the evils of this world, and perfected holiness and righteousness. No, God gives us a plan to move toward and eventually arrive at those destinations. And that time requires, or that plan requires time and effort. That's why Scripture says, work out your salvation, for it is God who is at work within you. But even though God's at work, that's grace, you have to work out your own salvation as well. Well, let's turn for home. Noah found grace. 
But Noah not only found grace, he found out a lot about grace and how grace actually works and what grace actually means. Noah learned firsthand that grace doesn't guarantee an easy road, an easy assignment, clarity, immediate lasting relief. Grace can mean a hard road, a hard assignment, initial confusion, new challenges, and ongoing trials. Noah didn't find a soft landing. Noah found a hard, challenging journey. Noah found grace, but he learned grace has a hard side. But the knowledge of that doesn't make grace less amazing. I would suggest it makes God's heart, God's wisdom, and God's ways even more amazing. Now, let's pray together, and then I want to come back with a final word and an invitation. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love the sound of the word grace. It resonates in our hearts. It conjures up pleasant thoughts, good thoughts, joyful thoughts, and expectations. But Father, I pray that through the experience of Noah, you would remind us that of necessity, grace has a hard side. Help us to grasp that so we won't confuse the hard side of grace with your disapproval or your disinterest or your abandonment or your displeasure. Help us to have a mature understanding of grace so that we'll recognize it everywhere we turn in our lives, so that we'll know why Paul would later say, you are able to cause all things to work together for our good. Grace does that. And help us to discover new aspects of the hard side of grace during these days of pandemic. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now that final word. We will never know what the world might have looked like if God had not intervened with the great flood, precisely because God did intervene with the great flood. But this we do know. Prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, prophecy tells us the world will again look like the world in Noah's day. And it will again lead to a judgment, a universal judgment. Now, that judgment won't involve water, but it will come. And in the New Testament, the second epistle of Peter, the third chapter reminds us that the reason why it hasn't yet unfolded is because God is patiently withholding that judgment 
because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants as many as possible to receive his offer of eternal life. So in a very real sense, God is doing today what he was doing long ago in Methuselah's day, multiplied several times over. We are currently living in a Methuselah moment, if you will, a time when God's withholding judgment because he would prefer we find grace. As he waits patiently, have you taken his patience as your opportunity? That's what he desires more than you can imagine. And if you have never called upon Jesus to forgive your sin, change your heart's orientation, and make you a part of God's kingdom, I would encourage you to do that right now, right where you are. And if you want to, and if you're watching on the newer platform, you can even let us know of your decision We'd love to know so that we could get in touch with you, not to bother you, but to get some materials into your hands. But where you are, if you will simply say, Lord, I've been living my life without you as if you didn't exist. I've been doing my own thing. I now realize I need to follow the blueprint because it was crafted out of your wisdom and love. And I take Jesus today as my Lord and my Savior and put all of my hope in him for eternity. If you'll do that in your own words, God will rush in and respond with grace. And then you'll find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Hope you'll do that. God bless you.